we created an art club when our teacher read us a book called What Do You Do With An Idea? It made us feel really nice about helping other people, about some younger children who might not like, like to play outside and come in the art room and feel really nice about all the people around you. One of the highlights from our art club is we winning a competition and also coming second in another one. From, and from winning that competition, we won a 100% recycled bench for the school. Welcome to this special series on Learner Agency, a defining feature in the emerging future of schools. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and in this collaboration between the Learning Future and the Association of Independent Schools of South Australia, we orbit 10 lessons shared by global education expert, Charlie Ledbeater. This is episode three, Agency as Philosophy, Product, and Practice. Charlie, anchor us into this, these three Ps. What do they mean and how do they interact? Well, thanks for that, Luca, and good to join you again. Um, The way to think about this is if you've got a piece of paper in front of you is just to draw a triangle on it. Um, And if you haven't got a piece of paper to imagine a triangle. And at the top of the triangle, um, philosophy. So schools that develop agency, I think, have a philosophy of learning. And what that's not is an account of their exam results or their test scores or where their students go next. Um, It's about a sort of core belief, a shared core belief about what learning is, what it's for, how it happens. And it's about young people as both reflective and responsible protagonists and initiators of learning and how they use their knowledge as a sort of unfolding potential, I suppose. Uh, an ability to act in the world, to act on their intent, but also to understand who they are as as a result. So it's important that these schools have something like a philosophy that runs through them, runs through not just the way that they teach and they learn, but also through their other activities. And it's not a policy and it's not a program. It is a philosophy. Um, So that's the starting point is the top of the triangle the philosophy but philosophy can be really vague and abstract so that's not enough is it so on the bottom right hand side of the triangle i think the other thing that these schools have is what i call products they're concrete they're tangible they're bounded um you can do things with them Um, A product might be design thinking course, a product might be an entrepreneurship course, project-based learning, real-world learning, it might be a change to a timetable to allow more time for projects to develop and students to um, explore and to converse about what they're doing. It might be a, a new approach to assessment. So it's difficult to convey agency, to embed it, to allow both students and teachers to understand what it is, unless there are sort of concrete things. What does it actually mean then in real life? So you need something concrete. And then the third thing is practice, because philosophy and product on their own aren't enough. One's too vague, the other is too concrete. And so you need this sense that it's all brought to life by practice, both the practice of teachers, but also the practice of students, and then the practice of an entire sort of school community. And it's that practice of daily routines and habits, ways of being, ways of working together, ways of living together, which bring it all to life. So 
what I saw with the schools in this project was that whether they started with a product, they 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 needed to go to having a philosophy and developing a practice. If they started with a philosophy, they needed to turn it into product and practice. If they had practice, they needed to turn it into products and a philosophy which could spread. So it's the sort of dynamic interaction of these three things that really generates change, it seems to me. You don't get just stuck in one corner doing one thing. You're constantly moving between them. I wonder then, Charlie, is it also the case that all three need to be prioritized? You know, is, is, is there's not this is not a cascade. This is this idea of a dynamic interaction. Is that how you would frame it? Yeah, you're constantly moving between them. And you're also respecting the knowledge um, that's involved in all three. And you're respecting, you know, when, when a teacher says, but what does this mean in real life? Um, you're respecting their need for something concrete to hang on to, um, to, to put their cap on to learn. Um, but, but when, if you start with a product, it will often lead nowhere or just lead down a dead end to a particular thing, unless it's expressed in a philosophy that can then be applied elsewhere. And then I think it is about real respect for the practice of how is this done, which you know can come through in case studies, in um, teachers sharing their practice with one another, with students developing new practices. So it is about constantly moving and using all bits of that to generate the kind of momentum for change. It's fantastic. And of course, even the way we've structured this series is about the kind of conceptual meeting the concrete. Uh, because we have here joining us three fantastic practitioners from three different schools as part of this ongoing now three-year project. And so I'm going to sh- hand to them to introduce themselves, a little bit about the work they're involved in and, and where they're from. So my name is Alice Spears and I'm a teacher of economics and legal studies at Walford Anglican School for Girls. Um, I'm just about to step into the acting head of senior school role as well. Um, and I've been part of this student agency group for three years. Fantastic. Alex, great to have you here with us. Uh, I'm Tim Anion. I'm the deputy principal at University Senior College. So University Senior College is basically in the centre of Adelaide. Um, we're on the University of Adelaide campus. We operate out of a building there. But recently we moved into a second campus um, just off Cooler Place, which is also in the city. Um, so our students basically move between those two campuses during the course of the day. Um, we're quite unique in that we have a very strong partnership with the University of Adelaide as well. So we use um, their library, their facilities such as lecture theatres and so forth. Um, and even their future pathways, people come and speak to our students on a regular basis. Fantastic. Tim, great to have you here. Renee Werner, uh, learning and teaching coach from Calvary Group Primary School, which is a primary school in the southern suburbs of Adelaide of about 250 students. Fantastic. Well, welcome to the three of you. Uh, and Charlie, you know, this is going to be a fabulous delve into these three Ps. Alice, I'd love to start with you and the experience there at Walford. You know, this is a multi-year project. Where did you begin and what's kind of been the journey from that place? Well, we were really lucky to already have um, our philosophy very much established. So we've got a set of learning principles, which the staff collaboratively developed in around 2018. So we were a part of that process. So we own those principles as well. So a great place to start. Um, So what we wanted to do was really to create a bridge between that philosophy and the practice in our classrooms. So to do that, 
um, we've developed a set of cards which the staff can use uh, in their teaching practice. So we call them Alps cards, um, not just for the metaphor of the mountain, um, <laughs> but also because it's applying our learning principles because yeah. that's the, really the core of what we want um, our teachers to be doing but the students to be doing every day in every classroom is to apply those learning principles. Mm. I'm interested in how the kind of product here of this card deck, has how you've seen that play a role in terms of the shift in practice over time because, as you say, you've kind of got the philosophy stated already and so it's about those other two components potentially. How, how's it how's it been deployed, used? So uh, every teacher got a set of these cards as well as a little kind of reflection toolkit as well um, and we gave them to all of our Year 12s as well at the start of the year right. and they've loved them uh, to the point where they are the ones bringing out the cards and saying, hey, let's, let's see which out we should apply in this context. Uh, so it's really been about not making life harder for anyone, yeah. but helping all of us to work better um, for the teachers and for the students as well. It's really been a, a fantastic product that's been well received. Can you share one or two of them? It's just so that people can get a sense of what's, you know, what's on this and how, how might it be used. I wish they could see them because yeah, they are know, very impressive. They're, cars. they're beautiful. <laughs> very lucky to have a design person on on this um, the team that that developed these. Fabulous. So one here's one from the Visible Thinking Harvard Project Zero. Lots of people familiar with that. So it's an imaginative. Could it be more beautiful, ethical, efficient, effective? So a, a thinking routine that can be applied in a number of contexts, and it really is a pick up and go with it. And it lets the students do the thinking, not the teacher. Mm. It's the students who need to go through that process. So they are really accessible. Um, and, you know, I think the kids have enjoyed using them as well. Yeah, it's a great, the fact you can hold it in your hand makes it really tangible, doesn't it? Really concrete. Thank you so much, Alice. Tim, let's hear from you as well. Where, where have you started on this journey and, and where are you up to so far? Um, we also started with the philosophy because essentially um, as a school we have a strategic direction and as part of that there are graduate attributes and so our strategic direction if you like is that students take charge of their learning and we're quite unique in the sense that um, prior to our year 10s joining us for the first time in 2020 mm -hmm. um, every year the intake of new students was about 180 students coming into year 11 and what was quite unique was that probably 85 to 90% of the students who joined us were coming here because they chose the school rather than their parents. Interesting. And so that in itself is wonderful agency right from the outset. Mm. And so essentially you've got that underlying philosophy as to why we're in place as a school and how we operate as a school. And then the product very much has been students then obviously finding different ways to take charge of their learning. So as an example, um, part of the product might be around the timetable. So our timetable for year 11 and 12 is that we start at 8 o'clock in the morning. We have four blocks of two hours right. during the day and we finish at five in the afternoon. Um, so a year 11 student, for example, might have a class from 8 to 10, 10 to 12, uh, have an hour for lunch and then not have another class till three. Mm. So they have effectively two to three hours in the middle of the day. So for most year 11 students, that would be a great time to waste time. Um, but our students are very good at actually learning how to use that time really effectively and being involved in small group um, learning, uh, going off to the state library, going off to the, the university library, all those sorts of things. 
Um, and so they're learning to be independent learners mm. at a very early stage in their senior secondary schooling. Um, and that's something that we encourage and we support all the way through. So if you like, there's the philosophy, there's the product. Mm. Uh, sorry, there's the, um, yeah, there's the product. And then it's really been how has the practice changed since the year 10 started at the beginning of last year because their timetable is not quite as free as it. Yeah. So that's been interesting. I'm going to come back to that because I want you to talk more about that. It's fantastic. Renee, give us a bit of a sense around the, the three Ps specifically here. What's been the journey for you there at Calvary? So you know, we've also started with the philosophy. So we had our philosophy around our school-wide pedagogical statement of reach for success. We reach then for relationships, engagement, achievement, Christ-centred and holistic learning. Cool. And from that, we had developed a Calvary learner profile, which is basically a set of learning outcomes which was reflective of reach. So when we say reach for success, what does that mean? What does that look like? So we had these learning outcomes and it was then about, I was then involved in a project at the Association of Independent Schools here in South Australia and it was about developing a product that was reflective of that. So we developed the Calvary Learner Map, um, which was developed during this three-year, a three-year program with that. And so then when we became part of the student agency lab, it was about developing the practice. So we had the philosophy of reach for success. We had the product of the learner map, and it was then about the practice of how our students engaged with that, with the aim that we wanted to create a learning environment that promoted and supported our learners to pursue their goals. And the product of the learner map was what we used to to do that. Mm, Fantastic. Charlie, I want to bring you in here. I mean, all three schools have reflected on philosophy as a starting point. And I, I mean, I think it's fair for us to all reflect that many schools have beautiful visions. You know, here's the vision of what we want. And it's just not yet lived out in both practice or potentially product. What's the reflection that you would add to this conversation? Well, that um, <coughs> schools do need a philosophy which runs through them, but you need ways to enact that and build on it and make it live and real both in products, but also in, as they say, in practice. And what struck me particularly about Alice's description, but also Renee's map, is um, this sense that you create something that is between the student and the teacher, um, a sort of intermediate thing that the student can pick up as well as the teacher. And and so it um, creates a new kind of relationship, but it's also that... I mean, both a map and a card, they're tools, aren't they, as well? They can be used for different purposes in different settings, but they're very adaptable. So um, so I think that, that designing those products in a way that makes them really interesting, productive, usable is really um, is a really important thing. And, and then um, Tim talking about and raising the issue, which I know several schools have also tackled, which is, you know, one of the big things about school is time, isn't it? How time is bunched up and how can you use time differently? And, and, and you know, the sort of timetable, if you like, as a sort of scheduling of product chunks of lessons as a product. Well, how do you open that up so that you could use the time in a, in a different kind of way? Um, I think it's also an interesting aspect of exploration for the schools. And I think many of them have um, uh, flexed that Mm. flex it to allow different kinds of learning to develop. I love this idea of the product being in between, 
in the space in between. Because of course, if we design a product for agency, which we as teachers control, it's effectively anti-agentic in its, in its design as well. Um, Tim, I want to go to you first because you've mentioned this, you know, year 10, you know, bring a whole new cohort in. The, the question for all three of you really is what's been the greatest challenge across this work so far and, and thinking about the product and the practice and the philosophy? I think for us, part of it was that year 10, as I said, have uh, an Australian curriculum as opposed to the SACE at our year 11s and 12s. So there's a little bit more that they need to do. Um, when we had a great opportunity in, in that we could actually develop a unique curriculum for them as well. So as much as we've followed through with elements of the Australian curriculum that are core, we also do stage one philosophy. Oh, wow. So we're very much about creating ethical thinkers, which is actually a core capability of the Australian curriculum, but it is also uh, an integral part of where many of our students are looking to go on a university pathway, then you need to be an ethical researcher or an ethical student when you get to that level. So um, certainly introducing them to a core element of philosophy in year 10 has been incredibly invaluable and they've really enjoyed that opportunity. Um, and the other thing they do is something a little bit more creative. So um, they actually do a semester of creative arts as well. So um, they have some opportunity to choose some art electives in the first semester. And then in the second semester, we do a year 11 stage one creative arts. And at that point in time, the student agency takes over because they determine what the project's going to be. They're involved in what element they're interested in being involved in. So to give you a bit of an idea, Last year we did a Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. This year they're doing Alice in Wonderland. And so at the moment you've got students who are involved in creating set and costumes. You've got students who are learning their lines. You've got students who are performing on music and working on the lighting and, this, and, and various other aspects of the performance. And that's coming up in a couple of weeks' time and their parents get invited to that and obviously other members of the school community. So they love that um, because it's like an opportunity to be agents in a really creative space mm. where as year tens, there's not necessarily a lot of creativity in other aspects of the curriculum potential. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, that's, that's why we're all here doing the work we're doing. Thanks, Tim. Alice, let's go to you. What's been the greatest challenge so far from the, the philosophical base that you spoke of as your starting point? I think for us that we are um, an established school with great results, you know, clearly a lot of it has been working. So, you know, if it's working, why, why change it? So it was really around um, putting a, a good case forward for why we can improve what we're doing, why we can change what's happening in the classroom, um, because, you know, that really, as we've talked about, that teachers feel like they own that very much and as they should, but it's also an opportunity for them to grow and develop in what they are doing as well to mm. practice what we preach a little bit. So I think it was a challenge, but absolutely an opportunity as well for us to improve what we're doing in the classroom. Um, and to once you kind of show that it works, then the more and more people get on board and it almost becomes self-fulfilling because then the students are asking for it as well. So the teachers, you know, they, they have to get on board. They've got to keep moving forward. Mm. It really, that's such a great such a great point you know that the, the mother invention is sometimes necessity and so what happens when we haven't we're not seeing the clear disruptive elements within a particular space uh and the, the case needs to be made including to ourselves <laughs> as we move forward uh renee what about your 
greatest challenge in the kind of learning map piece and how that's all come together? Probably for us, I would say our greatest challenge was that our teachers were heavily focused on the what and how of student agency rather than the why. So it was all, there was excitement, but there was also concerns around how to fit in and what was it going to look like and is this realistic and achievable and all that sort of stuff. And so the focus was more on the the day-to-day and not that bigger picture. And yet when you spoke, once we got into the project and, and started to develop it and use the map, our students were focusing on the why, but our teachers were still focused on the what and the how. So it was these two almost competing narratives that you were trying to navigate. Mm, interesting. In, in that space, this next question for all three of you, what's something that has surprised you about the way that this product is has worked through that or the way that some teachers or some students may have responded to kind of, well, basically the the innovation that you're driving in that? Probably for me it was around, so our students were using the map and they had an understanding of what it was and all that, but it was about when they developed their definition and to see that come to life around what student agency was and for them to incorporate the map into that and the goal setting so it was all making sense to them. They got it. They understood what we were trying to achieve. Oh, so that was re- that was really powerful, and it was and it led to a bit of a shift for our teachers as well. Mm. Oh, this idea of you know being able to hold up something, saying this is me or this is my agency, as opposed you know, and really grounding it into the the concrete aspect. And, and the math gave them the language. It gave oh. them the language to be able to speak about what reaching for success at Calvary looks like and what that means it gave them that language and then having that definition as well was super powerful Mm, i love it tim what about something that surprised you across these you know last few years of this work i think probably the biggest surprise came from um the students who are now in year 11 who were part of that inaugural group of year 10s because to be fair to them they started the year with a lot of enthusiasm they were getting exposed to this idea of being agents of their own learning and then the pandemic began, oh, and so yeah. that that closed things down a little bit. And certainly in terms of their opportunity to be involved in co-curricular activities, especially. So whether it's a combined staff student choir or whatever it might be, then they weren't able to participate in those type of activities. They also had some extensive planning that they put in place um, to be involved in raising some funds potentially for the victims of the bushfires in the Adelaide Hills and on Kangaroo Island. Mm. Um, we were also supposed to be going on a year 10 camp to Kangaroo Island right. and the venue was totally burnt to the ground. So there were a number of things that happened very early on for this group of year 10s for the first time um, that potentially could have, you know, soured their experience, if you like. Um, and yet, realistically, they performed incredibly well through the year. But what I think was probably most powerful for me, and whilst I'd say it's a little bit of a surprise, in one sense it's not, um, and that was earlier this year, um, I was with a group of students who attended a, um, a presentation by the, the Australian uh, Youth Representative for the United Nations, and uh, she came to our school and she met with a group of interested students at lunchtime and the whole group of students that were there happened to be from Year 10 last year. Mm. Um, and so the way that they interacted with her and, and the delegate from South Australia at the time was absolutely incredible because I was so it was so powerful. They were so um, passionate about what they were raising, the particular issues, um, and then they got the opportunity for those issues 
to be furthered when they went to the UN Youth Forum up at Nanyara Belair um, about two weeks after that. Wow. So they, they absolutely enjoyed that and it was really, really reaffirming, I suppose, for me as a, a member of the staff, but also for the school in general to actually see them mm. um, being agents in that respect when, you know, they could have had a, a soured experience that potentially put them off that. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing around this disruption and there's lots of debate about this, Charlie, you might want to pick up after we hear from Alice, that the pandemic in some ways has shifted the agency dial, you know, because it's it's enforced all of us just to have to react and, you know, if you didn't want to turn up to class, you just didn't open your laptop screen. You know, so the compliance kind of, you know, there was a choice, an additional suite of choices that had to be made, which is such an interesting moment in, in time. Alice, what about you? What's what surprised you across this work so far? I think for me, it's been um, the enthusiastic take up from the students, um, given that the core of what we were trying to do is to get them to be agents of their own learning and really putting this tool in front of them, they've embraced it and have, have done that. They've been agents of their own learning. So we originally thought they would just be tools for teachers to use in the classroom. But when we had the idea, actually, you know, we'll give them to the students as well, yeah. um, it really opened it up. And so to the point where I, would, I had been, you know, working with students in a class, we'd used a, a circle of viewpoints thinking routine um, that one of the students in that class then came to me later and said, um, you know, hemispheres that really worked well for me in that classroom. Can you help me do it with this other subject? So she was the one who brought the tool to me mm. um, and asked for the support with it, which was just exactly where we want them to be, driving their own learning. And it really has just given them an opportunity to frame their thinking and deepen their thinking, um, which is exactly what we wanted. That's fantastic. Uh, to have young people asking for what they need. It's, it's such a powerful thing to, just to consider as part of the school experience. Um, Charlie, what do you want to add on after these great, great reflections here? Well, just, <clears throat> just a couple of um, thoughts and then a question, really. So, so one is um, I'm struck by um, the map at um, Calvary and the, um, the, the idea of a map as a tool, but also as a metaphor. That you're not just finding a quicker route from A to B, you are trying to map out where you might go and what have you. So creating better maps, I think, is a really interesting because there is something about all of this, isn't it, which is about, as people have said, opening out possibility to discover, to explore, and to sort of step in going deeper. So really interesting, um, Renee saying the students were asking the why question and the teachers were asking the how and what question and that, that dynamic and what comes out of it. Um, so uh, almost as if they're sort of in slightly different bits of that triangle of philosophy, purpose, practice. Um, and I think, you know, the pandemic, I suppose, what, what it's done is um, it's, it's just a, a allowed people, forced people to say, well, do you have to do it that way? Is there another way to do it? It's opened up that question. And I think that's what all these schools are doing is sort of daring to open up a question, which is, is there a different, better way to do this, um, which might create more, <clears throat> more value in, in the long run for students, more um, impactful transformational learning experiences. So one of the questions that I have is, we've spoken a lot about the difficulties of getting 
um, teachers sometimes to shift. And we've also spoken about the transformational impact of students picking up these tools and showing what's possible. But has it also been difficult at times to get students to really do it? Because the students want to know what success looks like. And you know they're used to sort of knowing how to tick the box and get the good result. Or has it has it just happened? Or or are they just waiting for it? Or or does that need real encouragement? Because some of them are kind of cautious about it. They're not quite sure how to enter this space. Wonderful question. Who wants to tackle that first? Um, I have found uh, with our students that they have been. Um, they've found the, the thinking routines and tools really rewarding. It's kind of when we're using them and they're really engaged that they are then, oh, the lesson's over, is it? You know, those kinds of moments, which is because they're so involved and so engaged at the time and also especially if they're working independently, they're really kind of in there in that deep thinking that we haven't had to convince them. They are they're grabbing onto it and they're not just not just in that moment but in moments later in their learning. So that's been a real success story for us, I think. Mm, fantastic. I think it speaks to the idea of the, the tool being so accessible and, you know, it becoming theirs. Yeah, and, and having multiple applications and not just a one-off thing, you know, that they have a sense of ownership of it, that I can use this. And how useful is that going to be, you know, when they're not at school? Yeah. Um, because at work or in some other setting, they think, oh, actually, I could do it this way. So it's um you know it creates a sort of transferable ways of thinking and acting which um, will pay dividends for such a long time for these students potentially. Mm. Yeah, I love this idea of just a, a like a suite of tools at your disposal, where you can you can pull them out when you're called to act. You have multiple options all the time in terms of how you do that. Tim, Renee, what do you think? Um, I think probably one of the Biggest things for us really is um, I spoke a little bit about the product um, before being the, the nature of the timetable. And so one of the things that we also have, which is quite unique, but it's really, really powerful, um, is that students um, make availability appointments, it's called. So um, because there are these gaps in the timetable, um, then a teacher, for example, might um, have two by two hour classes in a subject in a week. And then they have another hour that's allocated to them being available for one-on-one mm. -on -one appointments. And so the students have to initiate those. So they use a phone app, they use a phone app, and then the, um, they basically book an appointment with their teacher. It goes straight into the teacher's Outlook calendar. And so they have to indicate what they're coming for. So they might be seeing their chemistry teacher because they've got um, some issues with a PAC report and they need some support there. Um, but the students can initiate all of that contact with their teachers. So mm. it's much more powerful for it being with your own teacher anyway than being a tutor, for example. Yeah. Um, and so we find that um, certainly in year 11, the students are really putting their toe in the water when they first start in terms of making those appointments because it's something quite foreign to them. Um, but we're finding that they, that gets more and more prevalent during the course of the year. The year 12s just hammer those appointments. So, right, right. so the year 12s um, extensively book out their teachers uh, to the point where the, the teachers will find other times. Yeah. So they'll find times anywhere else in the day because they want to honour that agency by the students to actually see them about their learning. Mm. And that's a really powerful thing um, that, that we have in place. And it's often one of those things that is highlighted 
by year 12 students in their exit interviews. You know, what's the thing that you really liked about the school? I've loved student agents, uh, student availability appointments and the opportunity to see my teacher when I need that bit of extra help. Yeah. Gosh, that's so powerful, isn't it? It's it, literally putting the decision in the hands of the young people. Uh, Renee, what do you want to share about this? You know, the question on is it is it how do we support students to come on this journey as well, knowing that they and their parents have existing conceptions of how school works? What have you found? Yeah, I think for some of our students it was quite um, confronting to have, you know, to have this language and to have to, you know, we were asking them to reflect on themselves as a learner and tell us what are, you know, for them to say what they perceive to be their strengths and their areas for growth, but they were so used to the teacher doing that for right. them. And so that was a really big shift for some of our some of our students were like, well, you tell me what you think I need to do and yeah, you, tell me, what you yeah. tell me what I'm good at. <laughs> yeah. As with it was the, you know, we're like, no, you tell us what you think and then what do we need to be doing as your teachers to help you grow those areas of growth and to strengthen your strengths. And so that was, that's been a really big shoot for some of our students. Some of our students loved it and, you know, we're right on board straight away, but some found that really confronting mm. and a bit of a challenge. So good. Renee, where to next? Um, I think it's around continuing just to grow the goal setting. Um, you know, even though we're in three years into the project, it's still really early and our students are still just really getting their hands on, on the language um, of the learner map. And so I think it's about continuing to grow that goal setting and then around how do we, how do our students monitor their mm. goals and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, we're still, and it's that co-construction as well around what's going to work for our students and what's going to work for our teachers. So that's where to next. Mm, fantastic. Tim, what about you? Where, where to next from? I think for us it's probably really around um, the students having more and more opportunities to take the lead in terms of leading new groups of students coming through, right. um, but also uh, to interact with, with the teachers a little bit more. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, for instance, we already have groups of students who volunteer to basically be buddies for new students during orientation and those kinds of things. Um, our students basically lead all of their tours, so they are the best people to speak about advocates, the school because yeah. they're living it, the yeah. best advocates. So they walk around with um, groups of prospective families and they talk about their experience. Um, we might speak very briefly to a group of People that are coming on a tour and we just say, look, anybody's fair game. You can ask anybody in the school a question, whether it's a, a teacher or a student, mm. and generally people ask students the questions. And I think probably the other thing is that um, we now have um, situations where we've got students who have been working on um, some of our new mentoring program, and a big part of that is around the respectful relationships. Yeah. We've got a group of students who have been working with the Commissioner for Young People on that. And um, they are really very passionate about it. Um, and their next step is to meet with the teachers and um, and talk about what they would like to see in those sorts of programs as well. Mm. Gosh, that's, that's fantastic. Alice, what about you? Well, I think for us, we're gonna, going to um, continue building these tools. So creating more tools, creating more ways for staff and students to access the tools. Uh, and really scale it up, so making sure that those tools are getting to younger students um, as they go as well. And I think the other really key part of it is to continue to share the success. Mm. So share the stories about what's happening in the classroom, share the inspiration, share those magical aha moments that you get with the kids 
to make sure that everyone keeps moving forward and, and takes up the opportunity. Mm, fantastic. Charlie, what do you want to add to this piece around next steps? Well, just that um, there's a very dynamic relationship between means and ends, isn't there, between why and how, because <clears throat> you open up, a, you know, Rene says, you know, you go, you go and ask them, so what do you want? They tell us what you want. You start forming some goals. The goals open up new ways of doing things, new how, how do we do this then? But then you build up that capability and it, it allows you to set new goals. So it's not just means to ends, it's actually the more capability you generate, the new tools. So when Alice starts spreading those tools, they're, they're a how thing. Actually, it will generate new ends, won't it? And then the school will become richer in its purposes and what have you. So in a way, <clears throat> there's, um, it's about sort of imagining what kind of, what kind of organism or system a school is. So there's this... Um, systems thinker called Bella Banathi who wrote in the in the 80s and 90s and he had these different ways of thinking about systems he said deterministic systems are where both the ends and the means are heavily prescribed there's very little room for initiative it's like a machine there are purposive systems where the means are clear but you've got a little bit more scope to adjust the uh, the ends are clear but You've got a bit more scope to adjust the means. You can adjust the how if you can find a way to improve it. And he said then there are there are other systems which are much more purpose-seeking. So they allow people to create new purposes. Mm. And they also allow people to interpret the world to imagine what those new purposes could be. And I think what you've heard today is schools moving along that continuum step by step to become more purpose-seeking, more interpretive, more open both to new means and new ends at the same time, and that generating an entirely new kind of dynamic. And it's not unstructured. It's not without frameworks. It's not um, let a thousand flowers bloom. It's not just choice and voice. There's something much more thoughtful and careful and interactive about it. But that's the kind of dynamic that they're creating, it seems to me, and it's really, really powerful. And what one of the interesting things will be, you know, whether you can stop it. I mean, probably you can't in a way because it sort of acquires a kind of momentum mm. uh, to it once once it's out. Once those cards are out there, yeah, I yeah. love the idea of those cards, kind of you know, just being out there. You know, once you've released them into the world, you know, they can do all sorts of things with those cards, can't they? It's kind of such a generative uh, idea. So yeah. I love that. I love that a lot. It's yeah. Once it's kind of into the ecosystem, you can't take it back anymore. It's now part of a new conception, uh, and that again interacts with the philosophy, the practice, and the product that we've been talking about today. I'd love us to close the conversation with a piece of advice that each of you would give, and Charlie, one from you as well, in about how to how to do this work. If you are an educator or a team or a school, you know, someone that's really interested in. In pursuing this work. Alice? I think it's really about remembering what your purpose is, our purpose as educators, to really bring the bright, get excited and surround yourself with the other change makers in your organisation. I've been so privileged to work with an amazing team for this um, and we've moved forward and we didn't give up. So I think that's what it's about. Bring the bright, 
and get the great people around you. Love it. Tim? I think probably one of the most important things is to, I agree, um, have a purpose, but at the same time, um, have a bit of an idea of the theory as well that's associated with this, um, because that's a really good area to go back to from time to time. Um, and I think probably the other thing then is also to be nimble because we've experienced that in the last couple of years. So don't be afraid to take risks and, uh, you know, and to basically change your direction if you need to because that in itself opens up incredibly new opportunities. Mm, fantastic. Renee? Probably two things. Um, first would be to reflect on what product, philosophy or practice you already have that you could drive the development of student agency in your context and use that as your starting point. And I think the other thing as well is about, which Alice and Tim have sort of both touched on as well, is around focusing on the wide student agency. Again, contextualise it and ensure that that big picture thinking is at the heart of all that you're doing. Mm. And Charlie, a final word from you. Yeah, I mean, I agree with with all of that. I think small can be big. So a set of cards can tell an entire story about a school, about education, about learning. And it's that sort of movement between the micro of incidents, stories, individual students to the macro um, and constantly having that interplay in your head as, as you're going about it. And this is a big story. These, you know, these young people, their lives are big stories. Mm. Um, so we, they deserve to be able to tell that in a big way. That's fantastic. Well, thank you to Alice, Tim, Renee, and of course you, Charlie, for delving into this lesson number three, agency as philosophy, product and practice. It's been a delightful conversation. Mm.